0: There's a whole generation of new workers who are embracing Web3 as a model who are essentially, it's almost like gig workers on steroids, where they're building their own day job across five or six or seven or 10 different Web3 projects. Some of them they're working for good old-fashioned cash compensation. Some they're working for Ethereum. Some they're working for tokens that are unique to that organization. Some they're working for nothing at all, um, but they're you know, gaining experience. Um, so that actually creates an interesting complexity down the road that, you know to what extent will people essentially be part of an ecosystem of workers rather than employees in a company? Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business
1: thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. We are part of the People Forward Network, and my name is Ira Wolf.
3: And I'm Jason Cochran. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation.
2: If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the heart and soul of crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and helping you deal with the convergence of people, technology, and business.
3: And Ira, on this episode, I'm really excited because we are, are having Greg Verdino, join us on the show today greg literally wrote the book never normal so i'm excited to hear you and him wax poetic on the never normal world today that we're living in he's a leading authority on digital transformation shaped by 30 years spent working on the front lines of change including advising more than 50 of the fortune 500 companies and let's face it the pace of rapid change that you is talking about really it's a matter of perspective Moving forward, things will never change as slowly as they are today. But looking backward, things have never been changing as fast as they are today. And I'm getting some serious Back to the Future vibes for today's episode, Ira. And I'm just wondering, when will we get our time-traveling DeLorean equipped with the flux capacitor?
2: I was thinking more space packs. Uh, the, the, and 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 a little bit of metaverse, a little bit of a few holograms, and we may get into that later in the show. But the but for sure the shift. Be careful when I say that the shift will surely fly today. I can't wait to hear what Greg has to say about never normal, uh, because we both share that vision. But our paths crossed. Uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, Jason, but our paths, J- Greg and my uh, paths, is crossed in the AqI community. You've heard me. Talk about adaptability every time, every chance I get. Uh, When I met Greg, I got a lot smarter. He's got a very interesting perspective. He's got a a few exciting initiatives, which I know we're going to hear about from him. And what I'm really excited about, hopefully we'll get to this by the end of the show, is talking about Web three. Again, most people don't know. You know, still are stuck in Web one. We living in Web two, but Web three with uh, between crypto and blockchain, and um, again the metaverse, NFTs, all it's it's really going to be transformative. And I think this sums it up. I pulled this quote from Greg's book, Never Normal, and this this is why we're here. The next round of organizations to fail in the wake of disruption, and we certainly got our share of that, will do so not because their leaders didn't see it coming, but because they failed to see where their organizations would fit in it. So they see it coming, but they're not sure where we belong, what that looks like. And and that's what we're going to be talking about today.
3: That's great. And so it's perfect to have him as a guest. I love that quote that you shared from him. Just a quick short bio before we bring Greg on a little bit more about him. He is a business futurist. Um, He is a top global keynote speaker and entrepreneur and the author of two books, including one titled Never Normal. Um, He's also a leading authority on digital transformation and the power of adaptability. And it's his mission to empower individuals and organizations to thrive in this age of exponential change. And more recently, he just founded the Alpha Collective, which is a community that helps executives and entrepreneurs unlock the value and opportunities in the business of Web3. So without further ado, let's, let's welcome, welcome Greg Verdeen to Geek Skeezers and Googleization.
0: Hi, Greg. Hey, gentlemen. How are you? You just made me sound so much better than I am in real life. Thank you for that. <laughs>
2: We're all having a little bit of imposter syndrome living in this never normal. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. We haven't figured it out. We're just we're just a little bit in front of a lot of other people, or at least we anticipate it. Absolutely. I appreciate you being here, Greg. I I know. And our listeners will, too. This should be fun. Uh, The shift will fly today. Right. So uh, let's, let's start with something very, very basic. And I've written about it. You, you, you wrote, you wrote a book about it. Mine, mine's still in draft (laughs) form. Uh, We talk about, you know, people were talking about the new normal, the next normal, the future, next, the future, the future normal. Uh, You arrived on this uh, and, and I don't, I don't know where it was either subliminal. We were We were doing a little bit of uh, mental uh, gymnastics, uh, but we both started to talk about never normal. Uh, And again, you've written the book. But there's a lot of confusion just on what normal is. I mean, which is sort of the the crux, the basis of this. Let's start with explain normal. Yeah, I think
0: it's it's interesting, and I feel like as I've read some of you know the things you've written and shared online, I've seen some of the same kind of thinking, you know, that aligned with what I'm about to say, but I think that normal in many ways was always a false normal, right? This sense that things were relatively stable, there was a status quo, we could sort of set it and forget it, lock in and optimize, and um, that it was normal for things to be relatively steady state. But then in practice, of course, You know, this sounds like such a hackneyed phrase, of course, but, you know, the only constant has been change. And I think the fact that change is, you know, is and has always been exponential um, has lulled us into a false sense of normalcy in a lot of ways. Right. Because in the early part of an exponential curve, it feels as if nothing's really changing at all. Right, and then you know, as you know, you're going from I don't know from point one to point two to point four. That feels very slow, right? That's slower than incremental change, um, but. You know, once we hit that, you know, that that rocket, that hockey stick up, or whatever, which is where we are now, at that inflection point, or just past that inflection point, all of a sudden everything feels unsettled, where things are changing much more quickly than we feel capable of keeping pace with. Um, So, if you were to ask me what is normal, it's this false sense that everything is okay. <laughs> and if you were to ask me what the never normal is, it's essentially the reality that we are not returning to a status quo, at least not anytime soon, and going to what Jason said about, um, you know, today being the slowest rate of change we will ever see again if we look forward. Um, it's acknowledging that that is, you know, the steady state is a state of change.
3: And we, we uh, were just speaking the other day with Kate Lister about change within the concept of remote work, Greg. And what baffled us was even though we have all this data suggesting that remote work is good for businesses, it's good for employees, and it's good for the environment, we still have so many leaders, business leaders, who are resistant to embrace that. Um, What are some of the reasons you often think people are resistant to change?
0: Um, I think it's, I mean, I think there's a a few things at play. Um, One is, there is this tendency of people, at least certain people, to kind of Cling to that status quo. Um, if you're a leader in an organization today, you know every you know you grew up with a world in which work was essentially organized around the factory model, right? Even if you were you doing you know sort of brain work, um, it was still this idea of you have to come in and show up on the assembly line. The assembly line, of course, was no longer just you know a literal assembly line with you know with cogs and whatnot, but um, you, know, the, you know the 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 row after row of comp- computer workstation. Right. Um, you know, so I think, you know, we grew up in that environment. We went to school to learn to work in that kind of environment. We were trained on the job to succeed in that kind of an environment. And now if we're in a, if somebody is in a leadership role and it's never been in an environment where work could truly and properly happen anywhere and everywhere, um, it's, it's an intense state of discomfort. It's a lack of know-how. Um, and it's, uh, you know, sort of a failure in many ways of the system to prepare people for a future of work that could be very different. Um, You know, I think, you know, for any of us, and I would include the two of you in this, you know, in in the us here, um, if You know, any of us who have been sort of thinking about the future of work for any period of time, it's been relatively obvious for a long period of time that knowledge work in particular can happen anywhere and everywhere. Um, Why there's friction built into the system still to this day is really baffling in a lot of ways.
2: There's so much focus on, on growth, innovation. There's a lot of terms thrown out out there. So we've got everybody understands. Everybody wants to grow. We need to innovate in order to do that. Uh, But then there's the buzzwords, and people use these interchangeably, and they shouldn't. Uh, Digital transformation, right? uh, You know, would be a big part of that. And Charlene Lee is a good um, is a friend of mine. She wrote the book um, The Disruption Mindset. She's talked about this for years. Uh, In and you you wrote something very interesting. So there's sort of two questions here. If you can define your version of, or your differences between innovation and digital transformation. Um, But then also, very interesting quote you had, they said, businesses shouldn't be worried about digital transformation. It's business disruption is what they need to focus on. So it's a lot to unpack there.
0: There's a lot to unpack there. But um, there's actually a few things that I think tend to get thrown around, if not interchangeably, at least, um, in a way that kind of muddies the conversation. Two of them are, of course, digital transformation and innovation. You know, when I look at, you know, not all innovation is digital. Right. You know, clearly there are organizations that can innovate around a physical product or around a process um, or, uh, you know, or even around a way of managing people. Right. There are a lot of different ways an organization can innovate Um, and innovations can be very small or very large. I once had a client at Kraft Foods. Uh, who was in an innovation role, um, and he was very clear to delineate that, you know, there's innovation that's new to the world, innovation that for them would be new to their industry, and for them, innovation that was just simply new to the company. Um, and in, in his view, it was just as acceptable to innovate in a way that produced something new for the company <laughs> as it was to, you know, kind of innovate in a way that is much larger, much broader, right? So innovation can be small, innovation can be large, it doesn't have to be digital. Um, that said, probably most, if not all, digital transformation is a form of innovation in a way, um, but um, is not always, in my view, focused on kind of developing new innovation, pr- uh, new digital product necessarily. Um so you know now in the world of digital (laughs) um you know there's also a lot of confusion between digitization and digital transformation Um, and i tend to look at those as different things and one to essentially be a step towards the next so for me digitization is is about all of the technological advancements an organization can make to sort of improve the state of its existing business so you know, taking, whether this is an improvement or not, arguably um, taking, you know, real world meetings and putting them online, Um, taking physical papers and making them electronic, taking a a process that was analog and making it digital, doesn't fundamentally change up the makeup of the organization, but it, it improves the organization's ability to operate efficiently and with agility in the face of a digital marketplace. When I think about digital transformation, I really think much more broadly than that. That is, of course, important. All of that digitization work is important. Um, But when I think about digital transformation, for me, it is about reimagining the organization and positioning that organization to do different things, not just do the same things differently. Um, So that's certainly where we start to blend or blur the line between digital transformation and innovation, uh, but also where I think organizations need to rethink not their technology stack, but their culture, their strategy, their structure, their their entire operating model, their profit model, the way they interact with customers, the way they engage and support, employees. Um, it's really a whole organizational effort. And for me, there's a phrase that I, it's probably in the book someplace, and I've used it often in my speeches, that digital transformation is human transformation. It is fundamentally and wholly about the people of the organization and the people the organization serves. Technology happens to be an enabler of all of that, but technology is never the heart of the transformation. And it's never... For most organizations, it's rarely the, uh, the hindrance to transformation. You can invest in technology, but you can't just buy a culture, right? It's, that, that's the hard work of digital transformation.
3: Well, thank you for clearing up that distinction, uh, Greg, because I know there is a lot of confusion there with the digital transformation piece, and the way you put it there makes it really clear as to how it's very different, and it is about human transformation. And similarly, Ira alluded to this earlier, um, when he was saying, we're going to try and clear up what Web3 is for a lot of our listeners, too, because a lot of stuff gets thrown in there. Can you kind of give us the the layman's version of what sure. is Web3? And then sure. the second part of that question is, how is it improvement over Web2?
0: Okay, so... um I could answer this in a couple of different ways. The short answer is that web three is about decentralizing the internet again. Um, The original internet or web web 1.0 uh, was very much decentralized um you know in this was the first time anybody could launch a website anybody could launch a store anybody could launch a blog a forum etc 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 right um there were tools that were available for the first time to make any of us publishers producers broadcasters etc um one of the challenges in that environment was okay, great—you've published a website, you've launched a, you know, a web radio station. Let's say, uh, certainly we weren't doing video back then. Um, you know, maybe you were even an early podcaster, but how do you actually attract audience? And what happened was, of course, large media entities supported by big advertisers came in and launched these giant websites, the Yahoo's, even the Google's of the world, right? Um, And and things became centralized. Web2 then reinitiated this sort of Rhetoric around let's Decentralize power to the people Right so again now we saw the advent Of social media blogging became Much more commonplace uh, More people were producing content Creating content etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, But then again several Large organizations like ultimately You know it was, it was MySpace and others Before them but ultimately Facebook, Twitter, Instagram Now of course even they're becoming you know larger As they, as they merge and whatnot um, Centralized the internet again the net effect of that is that while anybody could produce content because you are beholden to a master uh facebook or a google or an instagram to attract your audience and because that master also controls your data and monetizes their own platform through your data we've created sort of this sort of social media serfdom in a way um, where the vast majority of the, the rewards and riches go to the large platform companies. Um, so the, the Web3 movement is about re-decentralizing the internet. Um, and their mechanism for, the mechanism for doing that is decentralized technology. So that's where the blockchain, for example, comes in. Where instead of trusting that there is a central authority that controls the experience and has ownership and access of your data, um, everything is distributed across what the, you know, sort of like a trustless internet. And I, that's start, I'm starting to get a little bit too geeky, probably here. But the idea is that um, in a Web3 environment, you don't, you aren't just a consumer, you aren't just a creator, but you are actually the owner. Um, So you own the content you produce outright, you own the data, you own your community and can take it with you wherever you go. Um, And in the case of you, as you start to layer in things like NFTs, for example, you own the record of that digital asset and can prove that you own that asset um so it's really about kind of decentralizing or democratizing ownership of the internet um which sounds like a weird and kind of complex you know kind of bit of in in a way either I don't know techno babble on the one hand, but also this sort of utopian or dystopian <laughs> sort of future vision in the other. Um, but really, what it sets out to do is ensure that the people who are creating value on the internet are better positioned to reap the rewards of the value they've created, at the simplest sense.
3: Well, I was I was going to ask real quick uh, before we move on from this one. We we do have a lot of HR leaders um, who listen to the show, and so. Could there be a, a place in Web3 where um, like employees, things that they work on, IP that they create, could that become part of a portfolio that they uh, that that's part of them that they own that then could move from one workplace to the next? Instead of creating like an external resume, could that be something potentially in yes. Web3 that would be an HR use case of how to?
0: Sure. Could be A- absolutely. Yeah. So, obviously, Web3 is still very, 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 very early. It's one of those cases where if you're one minute ahead of somebody else, you're an expert. Um, but the kind of scenario you're describing is certainly the kind of scenario people are beginning to envision um, where. Um, essentially, you know, you're creating a public record of your actual contributions to organizations or otherwise. And whether the ownership or IP around that would travel with you is certainly one big question. Um, but absolutely the record of your contribution could travel with you so in lieu of a resume in lieu of a background check in lieu of an identity verification for example somebody might simply look in your wallet you know your crypto wallet your eth wallet or whatever and see what are the things that jason or that ira has some degree of ownership over um, or um, you know can be validated, verified through you know sort of the independent sort of validation of the blockchain, the experiences that he's had. So instead of a traditional college diploma, you have an a, sort of an NFT record of your education, um, or an NFT record of the jobs you held, or an NFT record of the things you did at those jobs. Um, so it it changes potentially the way. Um, employees are evaluated or potential employees are evaluated. It changes the way we carry our record of experiences with us. Um, and none of this is actually happening today in practicality, right? You know, if you have an Ethernet wallet, an Ethereum wallet, you know, you have a bunch of, you know, whatever, ugly gorilla JPEGs or whatever in it. Um, that doesn't tell anybody a whole lot about you as an individual. Um, but, you know, down the road, as more of these use cases become more realistic and more widespread, there absolutely is that potential and that opportunity. There's another sort of trend that's emerging even in the early days of Web3 too, which is that there's a whole generation of new workers who are embracing Web3 as a model who are essentially, it's almost like gig workers on steroids, where they're building their own day job across five or six or seven or 10 different Web3 projects some of them they're working for good old-fashioned cash compensation. Some they're working for Ethereum. Some they're working for tokens that are unique to that organization. Some they're working for nothing at all, um, but they're you know gaining experience. Um, so that actually creates an interesting complexity down the road. That, you know, to what extent will people essentially be part of an ecosystem of workers rather than employees in a company? And and to you know to to what extent does that complicate an HR professional's evaluation of that person's skill sets and experiences and um, level of um, sort of seniority even in terms of their, you know, ability to be in a management or leadership role. Um, There's going to be, I think, a lot of things that we're going to need to work out that nobody has answers to yet, uh, but I think will make for a very interesting period of time for companies and people who are leading those companies or hiring workers into those companies.
2: Greg, I think one of the things that we're going to have to work out, which I hadn't thought of a whole lot before, maybe you have, uh, but intellectual property. I mean, it, it's it seems that who owns what uh, is it, really going to get complicated. So uh, one of these days we'll have we'll have you back, and we're going to have, have some internees and and some other people that are starting to think about that. But it it's certainly going to really disrupt things. Even even your resume. The, the fact is is you you own that content, and you have the right to release that. Uh, when you want that so it changes the the whole uh recruitment hiring access talent uh, whether you're a freelancer or whether you're you're a worker uh, it's going to be crazy we're not quite at the at our break here but i want to at least introduce this and then when we come back we'll talk a little bit more you we, we need to talk about adaptability because on everything you just said people like jason and me and, and a lot of our other listeners are probably fascinated but but i can almost assure you that eighty percent of the people are terrified At what you just talked about. Um, Let's talk about adaptability. And we met in that community. AQAI is one model. The ACE model is one model. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing with the work you're doing uh, Mm -hmm. to help people at least recognize that they need to take a first step forward.
0: Sure. Absolutely. You know, I would agree with you too, as you know, I'm also part of the AQAI community and really believe in the power and the potential of uh, measuring adaptability. Um, Obviously we're very early in that world of assessments compared to something like EQ or, you know, any of the other traditional assessments, but um, certainly I believe in the power of at least benchmarking against some set of measures like the 17 um AQAI dimensions, for example. Um, you know, but I think that um you know there's you know there's some work that you know I began a few years ago around the adapt manifesto, which is sort of more of a practical um sort of roadmap um or a framework, more of an action plan than than a measurement tool for sure. Um, you know, and where that came from, it came out of my work in digital transformation. And I did this with a colleague. I keep saying I, it's really we, um, but, um, but for, you know, we, it was out of the work we had, we had been doing both separately and together in the, in the world of digital transformation, which is, as you said earlier, business transformation, it's not just technological transformation, um, where we started to kind of scratch our heads around why the rate of success seemed to be so low. Uh, not just for our clients, because that would be easy. We're just crappy consultants, obviously. In that case, but you know, McKinsey and BCG and other organizations were finding that the failure rate on on digital transformations was like seventy percent we started to scratch our heads about why that might be the case and started looking at what were the characteristics of the organizations that we were working with who seemed to be having a greater degree of success versus a lesser degree of success. And what were the leaders in those organizations doing to kind of drive the organization toward one direction or the other. You know, that's where we came up with this sort of framework that had, you know, it's, it's seven, there's seven values and value statements and there are 10 principles, um, which kind of form an action plan. In a way, you can almost look at particularly the, the 10 principles and say, as a person in an organization, am I doing these things or am I doing the opposite? So for example, one of the key principles is be a student of change. And that's very broad, intentionally so. Um, and that can be thought of and applied in many different ways. But at its core, it's this idea that if we don't understand how the world, the marketplace, our competitors, etc., are changing around us, we have no, no chance whatsoever of formulating a reasonable response to that change. Of course, that means taking you being a lifelong learner, taking time out of your day. And you know, I'm curious about web three and what that might mean for me as an HR professional. Where can I read up on that? What newsletters do I subscribe to? What podcasts other than this one, of course, might I what might I listen to? Um, what books do I read? Who do I talk to? Who's on Twitter who talks about these topics and building your sort of like information flow, right? Your personal library—that's you know feeding you, um, you know, data, information, perspectives—and then I can start thinking about which things do I believe, which things do I not believe. How do I mash these ideas together, right? And be a true student of change, right? And you could literally ask yourself as a leader—and when I say leader, it, I don't mean title, right? I mean you know somebody who is you know leading, even if they're entry level, right? But as a leader, or a person, in an organization, I can ask myself: Am I being a student of change, or if I settled into my status quo, I'm so fixated on this week's to-do list and this week's status report and this month's number and this quarter's this or that month's that, right? You know, am I just so mired in the day-to-day that I can't even lift my head up and look out to the future? And now I can make a decision. If I'm in that camp, now I can think about, all right, what small steps can I take to Become a student of change. If I am in that camp, of you know where I am already like you know my my head is up. I'm looking around. I'm surveying the landscape. I'm learning about how the world is changing around me. It's like, am I doing the best job I can to synthesize those things and think about what it means for me, my team, my organization, my industry, the world, etc.? Um, so you know, each of the principles there was kind of almost defined as a way to look at a specific action, engage. Am I a you know have I taking the first step, the tenth step or no step at all, start to kind of shift my behavior a little by a little bit by a little bit, even if I don't understand fundamentally am I high IQ, low IQ or anywhere in between. Um, but I think the two things together, having an empirical measure, that's benchmarked against others that pinpoint, you know, am I high in grit, but low in, you know, in, um, in mental flexibility, for example, is I think important as well. But when you put the two together for, uh, for me, it's almost like a a match made in heaven in some ways.
2: (laughs) You are listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show. And today's guest, a fascinating uh, friend of ours is Greg Verdino. We're talking about the future of work, web web Web3. Crypto, blockchain, adaptability. Uh, we're going to take a really, really quick break, and we will be back in about one minute. Uh, and we're going to continue this conversation. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the the individual dimensions of what people might focus on. And also, uh, Craig, I'm going to give you a heads up and ask you from the leaders that you've seen as successful, which of the five abilities, the five adaptabilities uh, that we know from the AQAI, have you seen them really the, the differentiators because everybody talks about grit and resilience, but I, my personal opinion is they're, they're a lot deeper than that. So stay tuned. We will be right back in one minute. For most of us, change is freaking
1: terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not-so-distant future, but for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock, and there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert.
2: Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Geek, Skeezers, and Googleization show. Here, we're here today with uh, Jason, uh, my co-host, and also our guest expert on the future, uh, Greg Verdino. We've been talking a lot about never normal. We're certainly living in that never normal state. You know, I know your goal, Greg and Jason, all three of us here, are trying to help people uh, recognize the need to change. Uh, not everybody has that skill. Uh, the we were talking before about the AQAI uh, and the AQAI are really like uh, their their model. And by the way, the AQAI model is ACE: Abilities, Character, Environment. ACE. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking right now about the abilities. And what I really like about the abilities is they identified grit, resilience, mindset. Uh, which across the bottom of the screen, by the way, you can see the we just released our growth mindset coaching experience model, the 30-day program. If you'd like some information, click on that. Uh, we're really, really excited about it, and it's now uh, it's open for business. Uh, but we looked at grit, resilience, mindset, mental flexibility, and learning. Now, before we broke, uh, we, we had our break, uh, Greg, you were talking about the baseline and the assessment itself. Now you've, you've worked with a lot of corporations, many large corporations, people recognize the names. Uh, Some have been very, very successful with uh, digital transformation, business uh, transformation. What was there one or two of those abilities that you found were, um, I guess, more dominant um, that, that came out, with the leaders, because you know the word of the year, I think for 2020 was grit, and then last year it was resilience, and everybody, the, the American society seems to to give everybody a pat in the back is stick. You know, we really like to stick to it. But yeah. In change, you can't just keep going in the same direction.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I I tend to. I mean, obviously, grit and resilience are important um, abilities, attributes, but you know, it's weird that I think for a lot of people, those have come to appear to be enough, right? This idea of sticking to it or bouncing back—it's like, what about like? forging ahead what about you know what about recognizing when maybe you shouldn't stick to it and you need to pivot and do something different
2: when, um, when running into the uh, brick wall and right and, and um, being a punching bag getting knocked down coming back yeah. up
0: <laughs> right so i don't want to diminish the importance of those things clearly but you know to me they're you know those are they are they're clear cases of sort of like, what is it, you know, sort of like is, you know, required but not uh, sufficient or something like that? Um, to me, you know, if we're looking at just those abilities, you know, the that you just rattled off, you know, grit, resilience, mental flexibility, et cetera, to me, the absolute number one is unlearning. Um, and it, you know, it's interesting because long before I knew anything about AQAI, before I met Ross, before I... Uh, looked at the possibility of becoming certified in assessments or anything like that. Um, We had also landed on on unlearning as a key principle that made its way into the manifesto. And the more time I spend working with more and more clients and learning more about adaptability and also helping to guide people around adaptability, um, and I'm sure you're seeing something similar too, the more important unlearning becomes. And I think there's it, it, it for me, operates on multiple levels, right? Because first of all, if we're putting this through the, the lens of exponential technological change, clearly every one of us is staring down sort of the loaded gun of automation, where more and more of the tasks we do are going to be handled more effectively and more efficiently by machines right and you know that's as tr- true for what i do for a living as it is for a truck driver or a factory worker um that doesn't mean that i'm not going to have a role in the future that they will take my job per se um but for if you like if all you can do is work like a machine then yes probably a machine will take your job um, but um It does mean that I need to be constantly, for every task I hand off to a machine, I need to be able to kind of reach up or reach out and onboard a new task or a new skill or a new capability. Um, And essentially, those are the human capabilities, right? You know, the more, the stuff that can be, you know, that is rote repeatable. That can be done best by a machine will be done by a machine and the things that can't be the things that require creativity, empathy, deal in uncertainty, et cetera, et cetera. Those uniquely human tasks for some time, at least, will be, you know, the things that make us employable, that differentiate us. And frankly, that's the kind of work that for many people is more rewarding, I think. So there is that level of unlearning. How do I unlearn what it means to be a worker? And how do I disengage from this sort of factory uh, or industrial era mindset uh, of work? Um, And how do I reimagine what the role of, of of a human like me uh, would be in a new workplace where more and more work is automated. How do I think of, of artificial intelligence, for example, as augmentation, not automation, so that I can do my best work in partnership with technology? So there's all of that sort of accelerated need to unlearn, relearn, et cetera, um, that happens with technological advancement. At the same time, there's all of the sort of, to me, when I think of unlearning, I also think, and this goes back to your earlier question, Jason, about um, leaders looking to bring people back into the workplace. It's how do I how do I challenge how ready, willing, and able am I to challenge the even the basest assumptions around which my business operates. You know, whether you know why do I you know is is it about workplace or is it about work productivity? Uh, what industry am I in? What are the implications of what the industry I'm in? Um, what if the industry boundaries blur? Am I a technology company? Am I a data company? Am I a manufacturer? Am I a services business? Um, you know, all of these things, to me speak to challenging assumptions about um, about the business that many leaders, Um, have, I think, been reluctant to challenge. So for me, that's the other layer of unlearning. How do I unlearn everything that I've learned about the way my business is and what my business is that no longer serve my customer or my company as it moves into
2: the future? It's fascinating, Greg, that you picked unlearning because that that was – That was almost the first time I heard that when I was introduced that to the AQAI. Certainly, we knew about that. We had to change things and stop doing what we used to do. But the fact is that we have to unlearn that, not just... Uh, I always describe it as a Jenga tower. It's like, okay, I'm going to get right. that certification. I'm going to get that skill. I'm going to read that book. I'm going to take that course. And we just build it up uh, until it just collapses under the weight. And, I don't, and you guys are younger than me, but eventually the brain gets full and we, we need to stop doing something and get rid of some information or just file it away uh, in order to create new information. Uh, my, my, just from my preference is my and unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot of time. So we're going to have to invite you back to, to think about this is how do you how do you unlearn if you don't have a growth mindset? And there's a lot of people that have this fixed mindset that, well, I'm too I'm too old. I mean, frankly, is ninety nine percent of my peers say, well, I'm too I'm too old to do that. And they just assume I'm 10 or 20 years younger than they are. And sometimes I'm older than they are. So you know, part of the fact is there's a lot of people that say I'm just not smart at that. I don't understand technology. I'm not good at math. I'm too old. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. There's always a reason that people do that, and that gets in the way. So if I'm if 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 that's my belief system, then I can't unlearn. And yeah. there and if and then if you're unlearning, you need grit and resilience. So right. they're they, they're all intertwined, and that's what that's what Greg and I do. <laughs> yeah. um, and, at, at different at different levels, at different people. Um, so yeah. please reach out to us, Greg. I've I've got your, your information up there. So while we're going through our lightning round here, uh, some of our questions to get to know the Greg Verdino, um, that I don't even know, uh, and G- Jason and I don't even know. Uh, we got a couple of questions here, real quick answers, uh, and then we'll talk about how to, how to get your book. And uh, I was I had up the adapt uh, manifesto before, uh, we didn't get to talk about Alpha Collective a whole lot, but uh, we That's can put okay. information well, there for, for I'm sure. We'll
0: have there. other. Time. Time,
2: right so as as growing up did you have a childhood nickname yes that's, that's that you can, it that what you it can was. share
0: uh, <laughs> so it was it was Pugsley
2: Pugsley okay
0: then the Adams uh, family long story you don't want to hear
2: uh, if you won the lottery tomorrow what would you do
0: probably the same thing I'm doing today although I'd probably buy a vacation home
2: if we spoke to any of your classmates what would be they? What would they most be surprised at, knowing the Greg Verdino today?
0: Um, the fact that I make so much of my living as a public speaker because I'm the kid who would uh, never raise my hand and pretend I didn't hear the teacher every time they asked me a question directly.
2: Jason, <laughs> we must have—I don't know—we must be attracting. That our business model must say, let's attract all the introverts who have kids. were a shy person who would never raise their hand because one after one, people, all our guests seem to say, "Yeah, that's what." That's one of the most common answers uh, we get. Uh, Do you have a favorite book? Uh, Other than other than Never Normal,
0: a a favorite book. I think it would be really hard to pick a favorite. um, Probably something by Kurt Vonnegut, but I don't know that I could pick one.
3: And well, that's near and dear to my heart. Kurt Vonnegut is here in Indianapolis, and we've got the museum downtown.
2: Last question, Greg. What's your word of the year?
0: Probably adaptability.
2: Good word. Well, everybody can see on who's watching can see how to get in touch with you. Greg Verdino. That's uh, G-R-E-G-V-E-R-D-I-N-O.com. But you also have the Adapt Manifesto, right? Yes. Adaptmanifesto.org. I, I got all these right, yeah. And then, thirty seconds. Tell us about the Alpha Collective.
0: So the Alpha Collective and Jason gave the uh, you know the the binder pitch, the the brand book pitch. Um, so it is a um, it's a membership collective, a membership community for business leaders, both uh, executives and large organizations, and entrepreneurs who are looking to get beyond the hype, the fud, the FOMO of what is Web three, and really understand how to take the things they know about doing business and what worked and didn't work in the pre-web three world and kind of transition into the world of web three um you know both applying web three principles in some cases how does a brand for example meet consumers in that new world uh but then also for people who are looking to take it even further and actually work in that in that in that um in web three kind of ensure that they've got the right grounding to build sustainable businesses there.
2: And for those of you who are listening and not watching, you can learn more about Alpha Collective at alphacollective.xyz. I love that. <laughs> .xyz, XYZ. Well, we knew it would be fascinating. The shift was flying, uh, <laughs> you know, all around. Uh, also, uh, Never Normal, uh, your book, Amazon?
0: Um, you have Amazon. Um, it's available in print. It's available for Kindle. Um, so obviously, any 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 good online bookstore should be able to sell you a print copy. If you're a Kindle person, obviously that's Amazon. Okay.
2: Never normal by Greg Verdino. Hey, Greg, thanks. I'm, I know we'll be exchanging our our usual messages back and forth. I really appreciate you being here. We we'll, we we have to continue this conversation, not only offline but online again
0: absolutely thanks so much for having me guys thanks thanks greg
2: so jason we're almost at the end of the show again what are your you know you heard the two never normal nerds going at it uh what uh what were your takeaways
3: there were a lot i'm just going to share one though and it was when greg started going down the pigeonhole or not pigeonhole the rabbit hole rather get my animals right talking about for hr what does NFTs and Web3 mean in the world of HR specifically for employees? In the idea that your contributions as an employee can be captured, minted, and validated and move from one place to the other instead of you doing the resume, the cover letter, and then that organization is reaching out to your references to be like, okay, is this stuff true that this person did that on Web3 blockchain that you could own? your own NFT, which is your collection of accomplishments, achievements, contributions that you've made at work, and that that can travel with you. What an amazing value add and more power that we're able to put back in people's hands in terms of landing and finding the right opportunities that they want to have in terms of work. And for the employees, that you can have more trust in that you're hiring the right person for the job. That was Kind of a, a neat um, thing to to think about that could be around the corner in the next few years.
2: I have this feeling we're going to be talking a lot more about that, about Web three, um, about uh, NFTs, about crypto, about blockchain. I know we're we're looking at having a few guests to help people first understand it. And then, you know, we'll have to have Greg back to to really explain, to, to really understand some of the implications of that beyond just HR, but also in business and our personal lives. Uh, my biggest takeaway is uh, when when Greg was talking about Web3, and again, I, I know enough to be dangerous about those topics, just how much more we have to learn and, and how much more I have to unlearn, which is one of Greg's... Greg's top ability that he thinks people need, you know, for the future for so really excited about that. But we are at the end of the show again. One last thing before we go, I just want to put this up. Uh, reminder that uh, there it is okay. the AQ plus mindset for anyone that's interested in uh, looking how to grow their growth mindset. Open up their 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 eyes and their ears and start the process of a learning and change and adaptability. Uh, go to AQPlusMindset.com, click, and we'll send out a link. And very very soon, it'll actually uh, we're gonna have a demo that you're gonna be able to go through four days of this program. It's a 30 day program, but you'll be able to uh, have a demo and 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 really experience what we we like, and hopefully you we'll like it enough to go for the full 30 days. Awesome. Well, we want to thank our listeners
3: uh, for tuning in today. Thank you, Googleization Nation. If you have not already uh, subscribed on your favorite podcast platform, we'd appreciate it if you did that. And also uh, leave us a review.
2: I'm Jason Cochran. And I'm Ivor Wolf. Thank you very much for being part of Googleization Nation. Thanks for listening. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.